1: I'm not just writing history, I am making it.
2: I have the brain of a historian and the clapback of a comedian.
3: You better come with sources because I always check footnotes.
1: Hello, welcome back to another episode of Historians on Housewives. You're here with me, Casey.
2: You're here with me, Dr. J. Mill, the millionairess, who's going to find a way to intro Max so he doesn't have to say.
3: Max, looking for a job. (laughs) (laughs) Brother, can you spare two
1: dimes? (laughs) Uh, So today we're going to be talking with Dr. Nicole Ann Solver about politics and on reality tv and i think one of the really interesting things about what's been going on on bravo since 2016 i mean even before but right now we have examples of these housewives casts really weighing in on political current political debate so i find that we're gonna we're gonna talk about some examples today that have been more recent since 2016. But I find that these clips are pretty f- flexible for use in the classroom to get conversation going. Um, and also, even before the election, I, I wanna highlight that at least we were already using Bravo in the classroom. And uh, one of the things Max and I always bring in is, um you know, talking about Reconstruction and the Jim Crow South and and histories of blackface. And one of the things that we we talk about is Countess Luann's Diana Ross blackface Halloween costume, right? So that's one of those go-to clips for us. And it always generates a lot of student conversation about, you know, what blackface is, where they see it. It gives them a way of grasping on to this history in new ways.
3: It also shows that like blackface uh cultural and institutional racism these things aren't sort of things of the past like way back when this is something that is casually done in the middle of a halloween party in 2017 yeah in the 20
1: teens yeah and and jessica you've been using bravo in the classroom for a long time too
2: Indeed. I use Bravo in the classroom um, in a more kind of apolitical sense, if you look at it. I have a lecture about the robber barons in the late 19th century. And so I talk about Sonia Morgan and Anderson Cooper um, and linking them to um, um, the Morgan family, the Vanderbilt family. I think one of the things that Bravo does now is it's become, I I don't want to say it's become more politicized, but what Bravo does is uh, it allows us as historians to give a context. Like there's nothing that you see on TV that is new, right? They say that TV and ads play against your subconscious and, and replicate images you have already seen. And so I think there's some ways in which even for the average person, they don't realize that they're watching triggers sometimes but it does take like a historian to say no actually it doesn't take a historian to say blackface is wrong it takes a historian <laughs> to come in and say but this is why this is problematic and we should not be seeing this in 2018 19 and 20
1: it just i feel like what bravo one of the things i appreciate about bravo is the ability for us to kind of create a bridge in communicating with students in the classroom, especially when it's something that they're like, yeah, this happened so long ago, like why do I care, should I care, right? But if you can show them, actually these are the shows that you're watching and there's a way in which the shows that you're watching can connect to these other things, right? That's re- that's I think really, really useful. And and of course the examples we're talking about today are, are much more based in politics post 2016, but in, in, in the same way, it's, it's a, these are really, I think, important clips for thinking about what has been going on with Bravo and these casts since the election, but also they're, they're clips that are so useful for engaging students, too.
3: I also think it, to use Housewives clips or clips from Bravo to talk about these really um, intense, serious issues helps students see that um, things that we consider to be quote-unquote politics and things that are not quote-unquote politics, that these are really very tightly connected to one another. And even in um, the most... um, um bombastic sort of low what I think a lot of people would say, I wouldn't say this, I don't think anyone here would say this, but um what I think Housewives has like a reputation gets is like lowbrow, mm-hmm. lowest common denominator. And then to put, you know, um the twenty sixteen election in the middle of that, it becomes a reflection of of reality. And so
1: that, It's a mirror all of a sudden being held up. It's a mirror
3: and it's a tool to show that like these shows really aren't, they're dealing with like real life dramas that are critically important to talk about at this time. I mean, 2016 is sort of like a bubble of
1: that. Um, we but, really saw this in the context of 2008 in Orange County, mm-hmm. right? With the crash and everything. And I feel like this might be- these past couple years as much if not more engagement with the current state of of the of the United States like since since 2008 in a lot of ways
2: well I also think just in terms of um I'm always thinking like a producer and how things are put together and why I also think that there's there's a moment that you know that the franchise can't go much further beyond living tables and having fights, and Aviva's leg coming across the table. <laughs> There's a moment just as, it, in order to keep this the franchise lively and viable, that it does have to welcome some of these real life, real life consequences into into the conversation, or it'll it'll just. That's what's going to keep the franchise going.
1: And I do think that these are examples of people being their very truly authentic selves in these moments, where they are very politically passionate and and not shying away from it. Where they don't necessarily think
3: there's a consequence associated with political decisions or, as we're going to talk about later today with our guest, um, shutting down those conversations and what that means for your politics or the fact that like you don't think that that's your politics on display.
1: Right, who gets to speak, who gets to be silenced, who is the problem, who's not the problem, right? So these are all things that these housewives are constantly dealing with. And it's it's now being put on display for us to analyze and to use in really fruitful ways. Today's guest on Historians on Housewives is Dr. Nicole Anslover. Slover. She's an associate professor of history at Indiana University Northwest. She specializes in 20th century American history with an emphasis on politics and international relations. She is currently working on a book about the transition period between presidential administrations and how it impacts foreign policy. Her first book was Harry S. Truman, The Coming of the Cold War. Because of this book, she was invited to appear on C SPAN series First Ladies, Images, and Influence. She was featured in an episode on Bess Truman, which inspired her to begin working on some projects involving the first ladies and other American women in politics. She has also recently developed a greater interest in women's history and has begun teaching classes on modern American women. Next year, she's bringing these interests together and creating a course on American women in politics. As an avid Housewives fan and scholar, she tends to look at the women through a political lens. So with that, let's welcome Dr. Nicole Anslover. Hello, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Nicole, would you like to share your housewife's tagline with us?
4: I would love to. It's, don't try to fool me. I'm a
1: historian,
4: and I know how to dig up the facts.
3: Oh, that's really good. I like that one. I really like that one.
1: The studio here collectively just started nodding. (laughs) <laughs> All three of us. <laughs> <laughs> Very but we can, give you,
2: we can give you a round of applause so you think we have a real studio.
1: <laughs> Love it. So how did you get into The Housewives and Bravo viewing more broadly? What shows do you watch? How do they shape your life as a Bravo-demic?
4: That's a great question. Um, I started watching Bravo and The Housewives when I was in graduate school, which we all know can at times be a very dark place. And I would turn on Bravo and feel better about myself sometimes, depending on what I was watching. Um, I've been watching OC from the beginning, and I've watched every Housewives franchise since. I will say that Top Chef is actually my very, very favorite Bravo show. And I also am very... Into Below Deck and Below Deck Met.
1: I um, was so excited when Chef Ben came back this year. Oh my gosh.
4: Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. He's just so funny and angry and charming at the same time. And I agree with Hannah that he'd be a nightmare
3: to work with, but he's very good television. So, talk to us about some of your favorite Bravo celebrities. Do you have a top three?
4: Uh, yes, I do have it up to me, And sometimes they change. Uh, my first one is Bethany, which is somewhat controversial to some people. I've been a Bethany fan from the beginning. I liked how she wasn't afraid to go on there and be the only one that really didn't have any money and didn't have a lot going for her. And I just appreciate her intelligence. And I appreciate how truly vulnerable she's been on the show. She's shown us some really ugly things going on in her life. So I'm a big Bethany fan.
3: I agree with you. I'm going to just like plant a flag with that. I agree with you and Michael Rappaport, who says that Bethany Frankel is the Michael Jordan of Housewives. I think that she does it better than any other of the the Housewives on any franchise.
4: I think so. She really understands what the viewers want from her Uh and she gives it to us i'm I'm very much going to
2: miss her (laughs) yeah i agree with both of you however (laughs) the however because you know as historians we'd like to find that one little thing that one little detail what grates on me is the fact that she came up poor or not as privileged as other people she was good friends with kyle richards in her not in her you know like, K through 12 years, but...
1: Wasn't she actually an employee of Kyle Richards? She, yeah. she
3: was an employee. I mean, her father was very wealthy, single family income, so, like, that in and of itself shows that she comes from some amount of wealth.
2: Yeah, she comes from some... She, we're talking about... Uh, L.A. or Beverly Hills, New York poor, right, which is different right. than real poor. Oh, yeah, poor. She's, doing, she's doing fine, yeah. You yeah. know, this is not a person that came from the hard streets of Salt Lake City, Utah, like me, right? That knows, That's <laughs> no street
3: crap. <laughs> I would be interested to know if, um, when she started Skinny Girl, if it was kind of like um, how Trump always says, um, I got a small investment of a million dollars from my dad to start Trump Tower, right? Like, if that was Bethany's story as well. I didn't get that impression when she was slinging muffins in Ralph's or whatever supermarket they have on the East Coast, but, like, that would be interesting to know how much pre-investment she got or help from her family she received, if any.
2: But I do agree she is the grand dom of all grand doms. Uh-huh. And I don't think she'll stay long gone for, <laughs> for very long. Do you think that they might give her yet another show? Or do you think she's done, done?
4: I think she's going to get another show. I don't know that she's going to be on camera as much. It might be a show about different people doing um, activism, you know, humanitarian things. And she's going to kind of run the show and make
2: appearances is maybe what I think. Maybe she'll be an executive producer or something. I
1: just think that if her relationship with Paul continues to go really well, I don't think we'll see her on the cameras because I feel like she is aware of, you know, needing to kind of, honor and protect that space, especially since she's still fighting that divorce battle with the ex and, you know, the alleged horrible
2: hobby, the alleged (laughs) allegedly horrible hobby.
1: Yeah. And with Bryn, you know, definitely being old enough to follow what's actually happening in, in the news around her mother. I feel like she would probably be a lot more guarded in terms of what she puts on camera. So what are your, who who are the other two?
2: Who are your other two? (laughs) Um, My second one is a little bit of an outlier. She's definitely
4: not an OG, but I love Stephanie from Dallas. Yes. She, the reason I love her is she manages to be so genuinely sweet and she's still not boring, which that is so rare.
1: And she really does try to stand up to Travis a lot.
4: Mm -hmm. She really. if you think back to season one when Travis was giving her a to-do list every day and making sure that she checked everything off, to now she's become much more her own person, I love her.
2: Yeah. I have nothing to say. I'm still waiting to become in love with the Dallas cast. Allegedly, waiting to be in love. We
3: have a team full of lawyers next door. (laughs) 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 Allegedly. Um... Yeah, I think Stephanie has a great sense of humor. Like I find her genuinely funny on the show. And her podcast with um who's the other housewife? Brandy. Brandy is has a great title. B S.
2: Wait, she's doing is this podcast no, brandy. with Brandy Glanville or no. a different brandy? Brandy from Dallas. Oh, okay. She I was a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. Okay. I had this just vision of that just that not going well. <laughs>
4: Oh, wow. That would be a real juxtaposition with Brandy (laughs) Glanville and Stephanie.
3: Brandy Glanville, Stephanie, call me. Let's make this happen. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: your number
4: three? Uh, My number three is actually Padma from Top Chef. She is again, I guess, what I really love in a housewife, not all the time, but is intelligence and strength. And Padma is not afraid to show that she always knows what she's talking about and she can also be super shady like if padma wanted to be on housewives she could and
3: she would traumatize a lot of those women i think
2: i like that third choice that's
3: great yeah i think that's great too like i i, I don't watch top chef that much so i don't have much of an opinion But I always think Padma is, like, on point. If we watched
1: Top Chef, we would never stop eating when it was on. You know what I mean? Like, we have to to (laughs) strike that balance. But I've
3: said this before. (laughs) I
2: watch things like Top Top Chef and um, Sunday's Best on BET because I Mm -hmm. like to learn how to level criticism. There's a particular kind of way. Sometimes Gordon has it great. Sometimes he doesn't. But there's also this like endearing quality when they do have to let someone go. So, you know, you could have said anyone from Top Chef and I would have said great. But Padma is a a really great choice. So, Nicole, we have your Bravo celebrities. Tell us a little bit about how watching The Real Housewives and other Bravo shows can help people understand your research.
4: Well, what I focus on is modern American politics, which is a really broad topic. But... I didn't used to really feel like Bravo connected to my work at all. I saw it simply as kind of this mindless pleasure, um, you know, entertainment I didn't really have to think about. But I think as I've grown as a scholar and as these shows have developed, too, and we've gotten to know the people on them more, I start to see connections because when I study politics, I'm always thinking about the emotions involved, whether it's whether people are voting based on their emotions or I study the presidents a lot. And so how much of being a good president goes into your emotions and how much they run you. And I think we can all agree that all of the housewives are very emotional people. So I love watching how they have started to kind of grapple with political issues or how the real world might actually affect them, and then that to me kind of informs how I'm looking at politics. And do other people grapple with these personal issues when they're deciding who to vote for? Or do politicians themselves kind of have these emotional outbursts that then we all have to deal with? So I've, I've done some very tra- traditional work with just the presidents and international relations And so now I'm moving into not only emotions, but also bringing women into the story more. And so that essentially allows me to look at Bravo a little bit more like, oh, this could be an interesting case study of actual people.
1: Now, Nicole, you've actually been on television yourself, too, because you've been on C-SPAN. So can you tell I us have. a bit about your... We're
2: just, that's so celebrity for scholars, right? I know, so I, get, I get so
1: excited <laughs> to see academics on C-SPAN.
4: <laughs> oh, I get excited to see academics anywhere. I it mean, is it's true.
1: It's true. So can you talk to us about what your C-SPAN experience has been like?
4: I will. And let me just first say, since we're all very, you know, scholars and excited about this sort of thing, it is the only time in my life where anyone sent a car to the airport for me. And then I had professional glam.
1: Whoa. So, wow.
4: That's really cool. That was pretty cool. Um, so I was on C-SPAN. They were doing a series called First Ladies Influence and Image. And so they were having a 90-minute episode for every first lady. And I had, my book on Harry Truman had recently come out, and so they contacted me to do the episode about his wife, Bess Truman. So I was on the show to speak about how Bess was different as a first lady, uh, what her character was like, what people liked about her, all of these sorts of things. And it was live television, so granted it's C-span, but still way more people than are usually listening to me talk. So it was really exciting. And then at the end of the show, we did a question and answer where people could call in or they could tweet questions at me and we would select some of those to read. So it was an interesting way to interact with members of the public that I generally don't get to. Usually I'm speaking to my students or to other academics. So it was really
2: interesting to hear other people's thoughts. Cool. Your experience is so much uh, more elevated and refined than my C SPAN experience. They called you, they said, you had makeup. I love it. Um, There were a couple (laughs) of historians on a conference panel at the Association of um, African American Life and History. There were a few of us, and we were doing a panel on um, Harriet Tubman being on the $20 bill. I say this only to say that we walked in and there was a paper on our podium that said, we will be taping this episode for C-SPAN. Please give us your permission. And P.S., we're going live in a second. So all of us were discombobulated, right? You're going to be on C-SPAN. Do we have our lips on? Are we camera ready? Of course, these scholars um, stay camera ready. Tiffany Gill, Dinah Ramey Berry, LaShawn Harris, Deborah Gray White, always camera ready. Catherine Clinton, always camera ready. I say this because... We were all betwixt between ourselves, and the minute they said, we're recording, suddenly we all were alert. One, two, three, camera ready. But I want a car to be sent for me, so maybe I need to start following you around, Nicole. Nicole. Um, I'm not going to write about Harry Truman, but <laughs> pick, me up. pick me up. So let's yeah. talk about let's talk about Harry Truman. So the first book you okay. wrote was uh, looked at President Harry S. Truman and Cold War policy. How did your interest in women's history come about after this book? And how are you merging these interests for your new course on um, American women in politics? And finally, because we are go- going into 2020. How does the Women's Suffer Centennial shape this course? You can answer Great all question. or none, all or none of that question.
4: <laughs> I will answer all of it. Um, actually, how I started talking more about women's history, because, you know, very unfortunately, as a scholar who studies mainly the presidency, I haven't always had the opportunity to talk a lot about women. And that was something that was for me, kind of missing. And so it was actually because of the C-SPAN episode that I got more into it once I had spoken about Bess Truman. So people started reaching out to me once I had spoken about Bess Truman and asking me questions about other first ladies in general. And then as 2016 happened, uh, I would get requests from the media to compare Melania Trump to Bess Truman. Oh my. Which to me was very interesting. Yeah. So I started doing that and then I started thinking more about there are a lot of ways that I can bring women more into my research and that I can start teaching more about women too. So again, I guess I have to credit SCAN a little bit with kind of setting me on that path towards looking at the first ladies and then broad, more broadly at women and Every aspect of politics. So, all of those things will come together in my class that I'm going to teach in the fall on American women in politics. I'm very excited for this class. I am taking a little bit of a risk of teaching this in the fall of an election year because I then will know who the candidates are and we'll have a lot more information. And I'm excited but a little nervous for all of what I anticipate being very strong reactions
2: and opinions. Oh, coming you have, out, you have to come topic. back and report. You have This is like we a reality you. show in the making, right? You have to, <laughs> it really is. So let's talk about the Women's Suffrage Centennial. How do, how do you think it yeah, will shape so this course?
4: I think I might use it actually as sort of a central theme. and So we can start there and we can look at how people are celebrating this and then we can use that to look at how we got to women's suffrage, what were women doing politically before that, how did women politics and what they chose to focus on change after they got the vote? What are issues still facing women in politics today? There's, there's so many of them. And so I think the centennial, um, not only teaching us during an election year, but also during the centennial year, I, I, feel like we're just going to be able to connect everything together.
2: So you really are one of what we could call, in terms of Bravo, Dem- Bravo Demix, one of our first um, people's historians. You went from Harry S. Truman and C-SPAN to th- responding to this call. These two are looking at me like I'm crazy. Wait for it. Um, to responding to this call for more inclusive history, like let's look at Bess Truman and Melania Trump. Or we could call you a celebrity historian at this point, Right. So this is this is really uh, interesting. Not quite yet. <laughs> yeah, you can be. This is interesting. Just how one little thing can shift the trajectory of your work. Um, I, I mean,
1: I also feel like it would be really uh, strange to compare Beth Truman with Melania Trump. I mean, there's just been so many decades in between. Like right, like this thought that it, like, decades. Decades, nothing is staying the same. Um, decades, really. pieces
3: of clothing, little things. That <laughs> even the role of a first lady... Is so different. I imagine is different, yeah. Yeah.
1: Or at least we maybe right. perceived it as really different. Yeah, the
4: comparisons that people were asking me to make, um, because during the first several months, 2016, so ago now? so I don't remember exactly, but for several months, Melania Trump was staying in New York, even after the inauguration. And so the comparison was coming about because Truman famously did not spend a ton of time in Washington. She stayed home in Missouri throughout a good portion of Truman's presidency. And so that's what prompted people to say, is Melania Trump another Truman? And then what People were asking, why weren't people as angry at Beth Truman for staying home when people there's an outcry about Melania staying in New York? And I pointed out, you know, the costs are very different. Presidents and their families did not have tons of secret service. The Trumans didn't even have a fence around their house. So, you know, just the dollars and cents of it are very, very different.
3: What counts as politics to you?
4: That's a great question, and it's one that I've really been grappling with lately politics i think used to mean to a lot of people either voting or running for office or helping with a campaign and now i think people are starting to look at really almost everything politically i'm not saying that's new of course during second wave feminism you know the big slogan was The personal is political in terms of abortions and things like that. So it's nothing new that the personal is political. But I think in this age of social media and reality television, that people are looking at other people's politics or what they perceive as politics much more intensely.
1: Do you think the definition of politics has broadened or changed since 2016? And you mentioned second-wave feminism as being kind of one of these watershed moments for changing the notion of what counts as politics. So are there other moments, maybe like second-wave feminism and potentially 2016, that you can think of in the 20th century that kind of do this work to make us rethink what we think of as politics?
4: I do think so. Um... I think maybe the, the, the students, the Parkland students, the March for Our Lives, those sorts of things. I don't think guns have always been political, but I think that's something that's really gotten much more political in the past few years. And I do think, obviously, women's health issues have always been political, but I do think, again, that has been enhanced in the past few years as this new generation of women realizes that politics do impact them personally. And I think a lot of people are not just necessarily realizing that, but they're feeling empowered to speak out about that.
1: How does having a president who was a reality star impact other reality stars discussing politics? Do you think this is partially why 2016 featured so prominently, on the ninth season of Roni and all the reunion conversations about various connections to Trump. And um, there's this list that you put together of housewives with connections to Trump. So I'm just gonna name them all so that the audience has this mental map too. So we have uh, Teresa Judice. Uh, Nene Leakes, Kyle Richards, Kim Richards, Sonia Morgan, Ramona Singer, Lisa Rinna, Deandra Simmons, Brandy Redman, Brandy Glanville, Claudia Jordan, Lisa Renna, and Kenya Moore.
3: That was
2: Lisa Renna twice.
1: Oh man! Oh,
2: various iterations of Lisa Rinna. <laughs>
4: Lisa Rinna with her wig and with her iconic haircut—two different Runners. And is Erica Jane? Um,
1: Sorry.
3: And she's so great, but like, she really should be mentioned twice.
4: Right. Um, I'm going to take that question in two parts. So, how does having a president who was a reality star impact other reality stars discussing politics? I think that it gives them. I feel like they think, well, other people discuss us, so we can discuss him more. This is more. What's mm, the word I'm searching for? Drawing a blank. Um, but since. He opened the door to being this public persona by being on reality television. I think, again, this is where the line between politics and culture it gets a little blurry because maybe now some of these housewives don't feel that they're being overtly political by discussing him because they know that the president was kind of in their shoes before. So they feel like, okay, maybe I won't polarize people so much if I talk about my experience or if I bring this up, I could be totally off about that. But I think it also has to do with the president himself who talks not just about people on TV, but to people on TV in his tweets and is never shy about his opinions about anyone. And so I think that has opened the door for not just people on Bravo, but people on ESPN or on CNN to respond to him and talk in a manner that we haven't really had this dialogue before. I do think that this is part of why the election was featured on Rony Season Nine so much. It it airs about three months after the inauguration in 2017, but it was filmed leading up to the election and there's a whole episode about election night itself and I'm really curious about what point the show was trying to make with this. If they were trying to make a point that look, these women are impacted by politics also but it focuses so heavily on Carol and her passion for Hillary and Dorinda to a small extent too. I kept wondering as I was going back over these episodes, what if Ramona had been actively campaigning for Trump and hosting an election night party for Trump? Would Bravo and the producers still have chosen an election focus for the epi- or for the season?
1: I mean, could we assume that Ramona probably went to plated dinners for Trump? I think that's a fair assumption. Absolutely. And I also feel like even in that season, as they focused on Carol's politics, I mean she was, I mean, she had connections to the Kennedy family. It was like this weird moment where it was like she was, I don't know, those tensions in, within Carol's politics in and of itself, right? And that she wasn't really ever representative of, of left wing politics by any means.
4: There was one part um, where she addresses that and she says, look, I'm not political just because I married into the Kennedy family. And she gives this example of her mom being very political when she was young and how that really influenced her. And she gives examples of her work as a journalist covering politics. And so she kind of makes the case that she's always been political, but it wasn't until 2016 that she felt the need to be so vocal
3: about it she also talked about growing up with her mother and protecting tenement like uh, the rights of renters in a tenement house right.
2: i mean my brief carol I, I i'm fascinated with carol by the way and so my only tangents are less about her actual growing up experience but more about the remake of gray gardens and more about the fact that i saw her on um hollywood medium with tyler <laughs> <laughs> <Either>. <laughs> Casey's like, I knew you were going to work that in. No, I, I like Carol, but I do. I will not go off on a tangent. I just say, watch the episode of Hollywood Medium. But I do agree with Casey that, you know, you see her connections, but it isn't necessarily really reflect what we saw in the show in terms of um, her her politics. Right. Isn't necessarily reflective of that I mean, I think her politics
1: are very Clintonian.
3: Mm hmm. Very. Very what? Clintonian.
1: Clintonian.
3: Oh, yes. Yeah. Certainly. Or like a new democrat. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So going on this theme further, I think it's safe to say that Lisa Rinna and Harry Hamlin did not support Donald Trump in the 2016 election, even though, you know, they've run into him through celebrity circles in the in the past. And so that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> so we we really do have to talk about Lisa Renna's dinner that she hosted for the ladies on this last season of Beverly Hills. And her mom, Lois, was in attendance. If you
5: were at 15, you would tell your best friend or you would tell your parents. Camille, no, not necessarily. I absolutely. I do not, not agree. I,
1: I was attacked when I was in seventh grade and I have never spoken about it until recently because of the Me Too movement. So I believe her.
5: I'm a victim too. Did you come out and tell people? I told my boyfriend, I told my mother, I told my therapist, I told people. Well, so I didn't did hold this on woman to it for 35 woman did. years. She did the same thing, she told her husband, she told her therapist. But she told her husband years after. It doesn't make sense. Do you not believe her, though? Do you not believe this woman? We don't know if for sure it happened or not. It's a he said, she said. Do you want? This pisses me off.
1: You don't think women
5: should be hurt. Women should be hurt. Do you not believe her for getting up in front of the world and telling this story and not getting anything out of it? Nothing. Do you not believe? that ever happened to her. Camille, she she's a doctor! Do you believe that all doctors are right? Do you believe because somebody holds a PhD that they're correct? Um, not I don't, necessarily, but she's, but she's been attacked. Yes. Yeah, but Camille, how would you feel right now if I said to you, I don't believe you? I'm your That's sorry. your prerogative. This woman has some serious allegations, and I feel bad for what him and his family are going through. But the fact that you actually have had this experience, I would think you would be more empathetic to this woman. I am very empathetic to women that have had this. Okay, but so- I've also been accused of things that I've never done. When I went through my divorce, I was taken down, I was maligned. I was emotionally beaten down.
0: Camille, people have very aggressive opinions about you. Conniving, mm-hmm. passive aggressive, narcissistic, mm-hmm. catty, jealous, cruel, hypocritical, self-absorbed, manipulative, fake, insincere, delusional.
5: It's horrible to go through that when you've done a lot of good things in your life. I think I've helped everybody out here in this hat to, I have this Jesus complex, I think. I empathize with what Brett Kavanaugh is going through. I've been in that position. So I'm really impassioned about this, and I know what it feels like to be wrongfully accused and humiliated all over the world, the country, the world, for lies. Camille comparing herself to Brett Kavanaugh is weird. I'm sorry. I mean, I know she has the f-ed up sense of herself, but it isn't about you, Camille. This is about a much bigger thing. He's going to be a judge on our court for the rest of his f-ing life, and that is a very big f-ing thing.
1: What are your thoughts about the fight that took place here at this dinner? What did this clip say about the battle over the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, the Hashtag #MeToo movement, the political difference between white women—sorry, uh, the political differences between white women, sexual violence, and the power of white men—and you know this Brett Kavanaugh case just kind of keeps resurfacing, right? So, in a lot of ways, I feel like Lisa Renna's dinner argument she had with Camille just cannot stop being really relevant.
4: In this particular right, I agree. Yeah, um, so it's very interesting that we're talking about Kavanaugh yet now, almost a year later, and all of these new stories are coming out. So this is still, like you said, so very relevant. My my main thought about the argument at the dinner is this is what I'm talking about when I'm saying people are now starting to really come to terms with how much politics impacts them personally. This is, the Kavanaugh hearing is so different. There, with the exception of Clarence Thomas, people don't usually pay that much attention to Supreme Court justice confirmation hearings, right? Um, And so Kavanaugh was something that so many people in this country felt strongly about. And these women on Beverly Hills, I think, In particular, Beverly Hills, they have really shied away from being political or talking about politics. And this was a case where some of them, Rena mainly, felt so passionate that she felt the need to talk about it. And Camille obviously felt passionately for a very different reason. And Rena seemed to not just, Sometimes, you know, Renna is being a soap opera actress and being dramatic just for show. But in this scene, it really looked to me like Renna was shocked and hurt that Camille as a victim was siding with Kavanaugh over Dr. Blasey Ford. And I think it showed some real human emotion reacting to something that was so political. And that's something that we absolutely hadn't seen on Beverly Hills before. So it really resonated with me.
1: Well, and one of the things that really struck me about Rinna's position, too, is that she was really calling out that this is an appointment for life, right? That the stakes are really high. And the fact that she is this, you know, bravo liberty bringing up more, I guess, serious takes on the long-term impact, I I thought was kind of a really – like whoa moment in reality TV history in terms of the housewives but also if we if we think back to the protests happening over the nomination we also saw right this huge 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 contingency of white women supporting Brett Kavanaugh and Donald Trump and you know really split white women especially down the middle, where you, where you were almost like it's fifty fifty. Like I don't know if they're going to be Kavanaugh Trump or if they're going to be for hashtag Me Too and and you know for not appointing someone with this this past to the court.
2: I think what is also interesting if we can talk about uh, Rena as prophetic, even right? She said it's an appointment for life, and now just like Nicole brought up, just like we've seen this past weekend these stories are starting to come out, right? Just because he was appointed doesn't mean that the stories have disappeared, nor does it mean that um, the the survivors have, you know, moved on. I mean, this is what it means to be, you know, a lifetime appointment. There should be an ethical, um, there should be a morality clause for, for judges. Oh, right, there is, but he was appointed anyway.
4: <laughs> right, that's a really good point. And I think one of the other things that's really striking about this scene is Kyle Butting in towards the end to say, my mom never, she told me never to talk about politics or sex at the dinner table. And that is so retro to me. I think that's a feeling that people had up until several years ago, but now it is becoming so much more common to hear people talk about these things. And for Kyle to kind of step in and try to not allow women to have this conversation about the treatment of other women and sexual assault really spoke a lot about the mentality of, I think, a lot of these white women that you're talking about. And Kyle really highlights that.
3: Like, let's not talk about this. This is unpleasant. Let's just eat our dinner. Yeah, it was very politics of respectability coming to the forefront. (laughs) I'm getting the look, and I was like, oh, it's my turn to ask. (laughs) I was so into the question that, like...
2: (laughs) No, I was thinking about, I was just thinking, I was editing in my head about the way in which sometimes those respectability politics are also code for something else, right? Because there was a time where that dinner conversation about politics, religion, and sex would indicate that you have outliers in the group, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to have this homogenous conversation. I don't know, a flashback of dinners being raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, just came into my mind, Mm -hmm. and the way in which those kind of conversations also reveal who really is supposed to be allegedly at the table and who is not.
1: I I also took Kyle's interjection in that very retro way, as you point out, Nicole, as her trying to put forth this almost like, I don't know, middling line for the cameras, right? Because clearly Mm -hmm. I felt like she, I feel like, if you really got inside Kyle, she was on Camille's side, right? I feel like she was. Oh, on the, really? I think she was on the Brett Kavanaugh side, right? Because she really wasn't coming to Rinna's you. defense, right? And I think that her mo in that moment was just to stay silent and kind of let it play out until she could say, like, "Oh, we don't talk about this at the table," right? And then, and then she's a winner for everybody. Right. Because she didn't actually have to dip her toe in.
2: See, this is when you needed a scholar at the table because a a professor would come in and say, I really appreciate all these points of view. And I think that we have we will never have a resolution. But hasn't this been an important dialogue versus shut it down for the cameras? (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: Right. Yeah, that is a big distinction. That's really interesting. Now I'm going to watch Kyle differently because I did not get that take from him. But. The more oh, I think about, it. I because well, then
1: she went down the stairs and she was like comforting Camille. This is when Camille asks her to be a bridesmaid in the wedding, you know, and it's so it's this moment where Kyle, I think, really is cognizant of the fact that they are being filmed, yes, and how they're going to be perceived.
3: Yeah, it's definitely being on brand. I sort of took that comment in the like in the sense of having a very um, conservative view about politics, not conservative as like the movement, but conservative in the sense that like politics is not something that you act on every day. It happens, you know, every you know, four years in November and that's it.
1: Well, cause if you think about it, Dorit was much more incensed the way that mm-hmm. Lisa Renna was. Right. Yes. And, and so Dorit was, um, I mean, her facial expressions in that clip alone were just a lot, you know? And I feel like Kyle's silence in a lot of ways was speaking um, just as voluminous as if she had actually said more than what she said.
4: Right, and I think honestly that small clip is the most emotion, maybe not emotion, but the most interesting we've ever seen Teddy be because Teddy was really coming to run a defense. And seemed really kind of disgusted with what Camille was saying. And we don't usually get Teddy doing that much other than siding with Kyle. So that was interesting to me, too, that Teddy felt strongly enough to speak up about it.
2: Yeah, I think the whole thing, again, as as, as Casey says, is in some ways kind of this pivotal, Not, I don't even know, pivotal moment, almost a standout moment in where we can see, you know, people, who people are beyond the camera. Well, except for Kyle. <laughs> who, who, who conformed to the camera. I, I just think it was a very pivotal discussion.
1: Well, and even this fact that, um, you know, Lisa Renna is like, but what about believing these women's stories? And even in this clip, um, uh, Renna is like, but, you know, she's she's a doctor. Like, do you just discount doctors, right? And so, so not only do we get this kind of, um, narrative from Camille that, like, you know, who cares if they're an expert? Like, expert means nothing, right? But also, like, um, you know, people coming forward with allegations really shouldn't be believed, right? Because it's it's harmful to, like, a, a man's reputation, right? And she's lumping that with her own sense of her reputation.
2: Right, there's a little bleeding in about, you know, allegations
3: about Kelsey and what it means about her as a woman, right? And also that Kavanaugh's quote-unquote heavy quotes expertise as um, a judge outweighs Dr. Blasey Ford's
1: expertise as, as a, a woman, as a professor. Yeah,
3: right. Like correct, and I, a,
1: yeah. I as a female sorry. professor. Yeah, yeah. Go for it, Nicole.
4: Right, I think the gender is what comes in So it's not so much Kavanaugh's expertise; it's that Kavanaugh is male. And I think Camille, I think Camille, really kind of lays out the problem with a lot of women's viewpoints on this because so many women have been sexually assaulted in some way, and Camille says that she too has been a victim. And that why she doesn't believe Dr. Ford is because she did not react in the same way that Camille did. And that's really problematic for women to say that other women aren't having the appropriate reaction to something so traumatic.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, that was mm-hmm. what was um, troubling about the entire conversation because the way that Camille was speaking, I continue to have to remind myself, she's also coming from a place of, of having this experience but her, her reaction is so different. I mean, reactions are on the spectrum. So I was confused throughout the whole dinner. I had to watch it one more time to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's coming from her place of expertise, right, of having this experience, but she's siding with with Kavanaugh, which just left me so confused.
1: So now it's time for our Bonko Party game break. And today we are playing Guess That Vote. Now, um, for Jessica and Max, they're really going to love this because they don't actually have to get points today. What? <laughs> what? So, um, so they, I don't have to worry about them cheating. They don't have to give me those blank stares when they have no clue what the answer is. Um, and so today, instead, what I'm looking for, I'm going to throw out names of housewives. And I would like the three of you to come to some sort of consensus about how you think they voted in 2016? Cool, I'm
2: Sounds with good. the man. <laughs>
1: okay, so our first, and again, you guys can disagree, but like we can't move on until you have convinced each other that you're in agreement. Okay, so the first name. Okay. Vicki Gumbleson.
2: Oh, Trump. Trump. Without question, Trump.
1: That was so easy. Yeah, that is
3: not, <laughs> not much debate here.
1: Would she have still voted that way if she wasn't with Steve Lodge? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what am I talking about? Brooks and and Brooks and Steve all. You know? I mean, I guess the
2: question is, would she w- have voted that way if it wouldn't have been Hillary Clinton running? And my answer is still
3: yes. Yes.
1: hmm Yeah. My answer is also yes.
3: Yeah. There's we, very little debate about this. <laughs>
1: do we think that Don voted for Trump? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Um, I would like to think not
4: because I love Don, but probably. Yeah. Okay.
2: I see. I, I wanted to start easy. I think. I think Don would vote for Trump to when it, when he's posed next to. I can see Don saying, "A chick, right? Not a woman, a chick." <laughs> yeah. yeah totally. look is looking me crazy. Yeah. Explain. What because you mean. when I just said, would Vicky have ran again? Uh, would Vicky have voted for Trump if Hillary Clinton wasn't? running mm-hmm. and you all said yes and then we had this hesitation around don i would think that if trump was running against a chick that's how i could see don saying it he would definitely uh, vote for trump does I that see. make sense
3: so hillary's the chick there you case. go i got gotcha. any chick all right it's 9 a.m <laughs> right
1: <laughs> i and i want to do i want to say i did select these people very randomly i tried to do different franchises so let's keep it on the west coast now and talk about erica Girardi.
2: Ooh, Mm. Hillary. I want to say Hillary. I don't know if her husband would have been Hillary.
3: It would have been a split house. Well, her husband was on the Aaron Brockovich case. So I wonder how much of that is about being a lawyer versus like actually caring about environmental protections. Mm, That's
1: a good point. Um, there is the whole issue with her son in law enforcement, too.
3: Her son is in law enforcement. Um, I think that her brand is very LGBTQ plus friendly. Right. And so to vote against her brand is a difficult one. This is one that you and I argue about often, actually. Like, what is Erica? Because she keeps her politics very close. Yes. To the vest, yeah. You know? I'll probably say she
4: does I feel I feel like she voted Hillary largely because of her inclusive audience the LGBTQ plus
3: yeah I think I agree with you
1: we're in consensus
2: we're in consensus in consensus for different reasons but in consensus
1: mm-hmm. okay um, moving to Texas we have Leanne Locken.
3: oh <laughs> <laughs> I guess the other option is did they vote at all?
1: Maybe maybe they went like Jill Stein.
3: <laughs> I, don't know, please. I don't know,
1: I don't know. I would say Leanne
2: didn't vote. I was I was leaning that way. Leanne might not have voted.
4: Oh. I'm putting too much faith in some of these housewives, but I think Hillary for Le- Leanne. Basically just because she Built herself up. She doesn't come from money. She still kind of struggles with that, and I think
2: she might be a feminist.
3: Yeah, I'm leaning. I I think I agree with you. So really, right now, the outlier is Jessica.
2: Oh, I'm going to go ahead and conform to the expert on the panel, the <laughs> expert on politics, presidents, and and whatnot, says that it might be Hillary. I'll go
1: with Hillary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so uh, Nini Leaks. Child, Nini didn't vote. I mean...
2: (laughs) 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 She's in the category of some of us, like, if it's not Obama, we're not voting. No, I think Nini would have voted for Hillary, given the option, right? She went to the polls, she would have done Hillary. She wasn't going to do... Well, Trump did make her rich, bitch.
1: She is also kind of getting into she some shady land bitch.
2: deals. Yeah, Trump did make a rich. <laughs> well, bitch. that track. I don't know. I'm gonna go with allegedly expert.
1: shady land deals. I've just seen tweets on uh, Twitter allegedly. where I was like well, I was like, it kind of <laughs> sounds like she's trying to buy up people's land, uh, which was like a little awkward. But I don't Oh, wasn't she
4: trying to buy Kyle's store or something?
1: Ooh, I don't know about that Definitely but I do know that she's like bitter deal. with LVP because she was looking to buy one of the locations that became one of Lisa Vanderpump's restaurants and Lisa was like oh don't pick Maybe it up better. like it's it's totally worthless it'll be a money pit you know like Lisa talked her out of it and then Lisa ended up turning it into one of her restaurants on that corner there in West Hollywood, on Robertson. Which was probably particular? what I was thinking
2: of. I think it was Pump. The fact that you know that solidifies your place in the canon of Bravo, Bravo, <laughs> Bravo, Bravo, <damn it. laughs> Okay, Nicole, what do you think? Because I'm totally going to cheat and go with whatever you say.
4: I'm really torn on this one. So I was going to cheat and go with the consensus.
3: I guess the question that I have is, like, does her alleged shady land deals preclude Alleg- her? Yeah. Yeah. Le- alleged, yeah. Very <laughs> alleged. Alleged. <laughs> Should be like an asterisk, a footnote. If I can make that into an audio form. Um, uh, does that preclude her from voting for Hillary? I'm going to defer to No. Election.
4: I mean, and she, I'm gonna cheat here too and say that I think I read somewhere that all of the Atlanta ladies voted for Hillary.
1: Oh okay, we'll go with that. All right. I was just gonna say because <laughs> she also had her scandal at her comedy show where she clapped back at an audience member mm-hmm. and it yes, was yeah, it was
2: it was horrible. That wasn't a good look. Horrible. What happened? Um I believe it was someone was heckling her and she said something like the person was getting up to leave.
1: She said that she hoped that I think the Uber or Lyft driver would um, sexually assault this fan on their way home. Whoa. Yeah. Casey made it sound much more
2: clear and clean. She said rape. Yeah. Okay. And there was a big clap back. And was this when she was opening for Wendy Williams or was this a different show? I
1: don't know if she was opening for Wendy Williams, but it was her comedy tour. And I feel Mm. like it paused the comedy tour for a bit. And I want to say that might have been her San Francisco show.
2: She was opening for Escape. Escape. That's what happened, wasn't it? Well, I think, oh, Esca- right. oh, I think
1: Escape brought her on after that. and But it okay. was like this whole conversation about, you know, you got to, you know, recover from, from that scandal. Point
2: being, I, as much as we'll say Hillary, because Nicole brought that background information, I'm still with my original point. Child, I'm not going to vote. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, that's very possible, too. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yes. For the sake of the game, we will register Hillary as the name.
1: Dolores Catania. Leaning on my I Michael feel like she's.
2: <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. I'm go. going with Trump just because
4: she's really into Teresa and Teresa's really into Trump. Yeah. I
3: yeah.
1: was wondering what we do with all of her work for battered and abused women because that's Ooh. kind of her mission. Ooh. So that's kind of that curveball that you get with Dolores Catania. Well, as we know from And you- having been all, kind of in a lot of ways not quite a single parent but definitely like having to parent through a very tumultuous broken household and all that kind of stuff
3: allegedly broken household i'm really careful today
1: (laughs) well i mean her (laughs) husband you know walked out on her with another woman and then like spent all his money on i think a yacht or something like that and just kind of Mm -hmm. took off they've had a really interesting relationship
4: what if, you know how, after 2016, a lot of people lied and didn't admit that they were voting for Trump? I think Dolores might have done the opposite in her friend circle and lied and told Teresa and the others that she voted for Trump but secretly voted for Hillary.
1: I like that. I, I like really that.
3: I like that. I like
2: that. We're going to go with Hillary then. Okay. That's Let the we'll record lock in. show
1: Hillary. Our last one. It's probably maybe as easy as the first. Ramona Singer. Uh, Hello, her ex, Trump. Her
3: (laughs) ex was Trump, and she said on multiple Bravo shows that she voted for Trump.
1: So the big question is, does Ramona vote for Trump again in 2020? Yes.
2: Hello, yes. She's still talking about what is Sonia's man that she ran into uh, not Harry. Who is Sonya's longtime?
1: Ha- not Harry Dubin. Yes, Harry Dubin. Okay. I was thinking here Harry-
2: I was thinking Lisa Rennes' so husband for a minute. Hello, Ramona's still at, running after Harry talking about but we're just friends. <laughs> I mean she doesn't have the social <laughs> cues to move on. So yeah, she's still with Trump. Okay.
1: Exactly. No. Oh yes. Okay. Well that completes our Bunko Party game break. Okay. And we all won, right? Everybody everybody's a winner today.
2: Everybody's a winner.
3: really timely example that came up on the season premiere of um, uh, season 14 of Real Housewives of Orange County um, occurred when Tamara confronted her son, Ryan, about a fight that um, he had had with Spencer. I
5: have no idea what you guys are talking about. Ryan's a fanatic Trump supporter. And Spencer's a total opposite. I don't care. What do you mean you don't care?
0: There's nothing wrong with loving America.
5: I don't mind loving America, but you said you were gonna punch him in the face. You can't be talking to me the way you talk to me. What does that mean?
3: Call me a racist. My brother got offended because I was for building the wall. And just because I said that, he thought that I was racist.
5: Are you? No.
3: Half my family is Mexican. I have other family that's black. I was like, it's, it just doesn't make sense.
5: Listen, I'm not into politics, and I'm not going to say one side is.
0: You yes. want to watch some Fox News with me? We can watch some Fox News.
5: What about um, CNN?
2: Do not say those words to me.
5: Oh, come on. Spencer and Ryan were raised differently. Ryan was in daycare half the time while I was working two jobs. My lights were turned off most of the time. Birthday parties were, let's go to Chuck E. Cheese. And now Ryan sees all the fancy things in life that Spencer has. And I think there might be a little bit of jealousy between the two of them. And I think Ryan's the one that's got to maybe come around. I don't like it when my kids aren't talking. I just think that you should, like, be the older brother and make up with him.
1: Whatever.
3: Grandma. Oh. Where are you going? I gotta pick a baby. No. You leaving? Yep. Mm, okay. You just got here. Enjoy your meal, Mom.
5: Ryan? I think it's time that you bury the hatchet with Spencer. I don't want that weirdness. Having schedules where my kids can come in and not face each other is not working for me.
3: It's not a big deal. So he's my... he's more worried about it than I am. Well, he's worried he because do, he thinks he... you hate him. Uh, I don't hate the kid. I just he crossed the line and he wasn't ready for a repercussion. Am I gonna go kick his ass? No. I'm not stressed about it. But you can talk to him about that. That's the deal. Okay?
0: Okay.
3: So there's a lot to unpack here. What can you say about these exchanges?
1: also the exchange in the sixth episode when we get Spencer's take on it too. So, so it's So it's both the the first episode where it's like Ryan talking to Tamara about it and then if we skip forward a couple episodes, then we have Eddie and Tamara and Spencer talking about it. So do you want to unpack all of this for us? This, I think, was a tough scene for viewers for a couple
4: different reasons. For a lot of people, I think it was tough because they still don't want any politics on their Bravo. And so for this to be so fully out there in the opening episode of this new season of the longest-running franchise, I think, took a lot of people aback, And so this also may have been kind of one of those pivotal moments. Hey, we're putting this out there. We can't separate our politics from our entertainment anymore. And then, of course, for a different set of people, I think it was troubling to hear Ryan's views. And Tamara is sort of trying to speak to him and say, can't you just get along with your brother? And Ryan is so vehement that just because I believe these things does not make me a racist and that's what he called me. And then he does the sort of thing that you hear people doing and it's just no... It's no defense at all by saying there are black people in my family so I can't be racist. And obviously that's not true. So seeing someone just put that out there can be startling. And then I also think it's important um, there's a lot of backstory going on here with horrible things that Ryan has posted on his Instagram and other social media with very problematic comments about wanting to harm trans transgender people and seeming to kind of promote domestic violence and so I think
1: and wasn't was it instagram story. didn't instagram actually end up blocking ryan and like disabling his account
3: he might have right. done that himself just because I, of so think, much outrage i think instagram but,
1: sanctioned yeah. him oh, okay yeah
4: so you know that's kind of what we're not hearing and so we're seeing the scene and just you know hearing Tamara say well you know maybe you could kind of be nicer to your brother and you could get along and what we're not hearing is the subtext of it's not just that you support the wall but it's that you're doing all of these other things to you that your brother is really having a big problem with and then Tamara says maybe she and Ryan can watch CNN together and Ryan says don't say those words to me which first of all, you have to laugh because those are letters, not words. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then he's just so appalled that she would make such a suggestion. And so I think this scene just kind of flaps the viewer in the face with, wow, we're watching these Orange County women who used to, you know, just be screaming about family vans and not well, whatnot, and now we're having this debate over Fox News and it so I, I saw this as
2: just a really big moment.
1: And Ryan doesn't stay for dinner. Then he leaves. And his, like, grandma's even like, you're leaving. And Eddie is so, so, like, silent and so in the background. So, like, I am not doing this again. And Eddie does not seem bummed at all. Like, oh, okay, bye, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> right, Eddie that's
2: hates Ryan telling. as much as Simon did, yeah. Right. That's what's telling is Eddie doesn't say a word.
1: Yeah, he is so like I am a flower on this wall, like you know, he's like becomes wallpaper essentially. Like I'm not seen, I'm not heard, except you do see him in this background, and he he does seem like he's like, why are we doing this right now? Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other thing about that particular episode that I found so important is that there's been this narrative that oh, Orange County went blue in 2016 because you saw, you know, more votes for Hillary or whatever, but it's really important for people to understand that Orange County is, is still very much a conservative stronghold. And I do think that there is a difference between longtime conservatives in Orange County, you know, voting, you know, for Hillary Clinton is, is, you know, very neoliberal versus someone who's voting for me <laughs> Well, versus <laughs> versus, you know, voting as f- for as um, outward of demonstrations of, of like racism and sexism and xenophobia, right? Like I feel like a lot of people in orange County um, felt like Donald Trump was maybe too far, but their money would still be safe on wall street with Hillary Clinton. You know what I mean? So to pretend that it was like this transformative blue wave in a lot of ways um does a lot of work to try to pretend that people like ryan aren't here anymore when in fact um they're all over the place not only are they here they've been giving
2: a voice with this new administration right i feel like that um people were really pc um under obama and that's great and i thank you for it um but i think that this new administration is is um well, I'm preaching to the I'm preaching to the converted, right? This new administration is not only given a voice to they they are allowing they're sanctioning um, much 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 of this rhetoric that then can become violence, right? Allegedly, violence. So, but again, I'm I'm preaching to the converted here.
1: I mean, on the on, right. on election night in 2016, to like really contextualize um, how this blue wave can be really, really, really. Um, deceiving here, right? 2016, night of the election, graduate housing at UC Irvine, there were build-the-wall chants coming out of graduate housing.
3: Wow. You know what I so, Multiple, multiple groups.
2: Meanwhile, I was up the street at the faculty kind of watch party, and people were so sad that Hillary was about to lose.
1: Yeah, I mean, but, you know, that—that that is to say, right, that, that I do think Ryan is serving as an important window into what's changed, what hasn't, right the the resilience, I, I want to say of this, you know, real conservative streak within this particular
2: location. I think resilience is the best the best word, right? it, it hasn't it hasn't gone away. Mm-mm. It's just that right. Ryan in, in some ways is, again, yeah, doing the work for a particular um, group of, we can say voters, citizens, what have you.
1: Can we um, now follow up and talk yes. about this follow-up episode with Spencer, right? Because Eddie is actually, like, mixing it up in this one. Like, he is, like, right in the middle of that conversation with Spencer and Tamara about what is going on with Ryan. So do you want to say anything about that?
4: I think maybe we all appreciated Spencer here and agree that Spencer is probably more mature than Tamara and certainly Ryan. And so I thought Spencer was very level headed. He's laying out facts and he's saying, well, this is why I said that. And I don't believe that I'm wrong. And I think his points about, well, Ryan's very close minded. So sure. I'm happy to talk to him. He's the one who, won't hear any other information and I just thought it was very interesting how calmly Spencer presented himself and I also just thought it was gross that Tamara is telling her 18 year old that he needs to be the adult and he needs to fix it with Ryan who is actually an adult and so she's still trying to search for this middle ground and in reality she should be upset that her older son either punched or threatened to punch i don't remember her younger one instead of putting all of this on spencer but i thought spencer handled the situation really well
3: what i found interesting about that that exchange between Tamara and spencer was this thing that you're talking about um where um she is saying that you need to be the bigger person you need to talk about uh you need to reach out to him it almost tacitly sounded like she is sort of revealing that she does not necessarily agree with um ryan Ryan and ryan's perspective by by putting the onus on spencer it sounded like to me did you get that impression i got the opposite Oh really? I got the opposite. You go to your
2: child that can uh, have not having children. So let me sound like an expert. Um, you go to your child. You, Spencer is making Ryan uncomfortable versus Ryan making everyone else uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So Spencer is actually the problem here. So he needs to make it work and work I it see. out. He needs to make Ryan feel comfortable. Okay. Versus yeah, Ryan toning is, it down to I, make everyone else feel comfortable. I feel
1: like uh, Tamara's politics. Um, aren't aren't as potentially far right as Ryan's, but mm-hmm. it's it's she's definitely in a different ballpark than Spencer.
3: Even though she is saying that Spencer is the more mature person, this whole like the whole I mean, thing. I think she's right. all
2: about making Ryan feel better, and that's all about building Spencer up, mm-hmm. but also trying to silence Spencer. This is all about Spencer's presence is what's making everyone uncomfortable. Except for Eddie. Eddie's like, I'll I'll talk to this. Eddie is like, since, since podcasts aren't, um, aren't um, regulated yet by the broadcast, by broadcasting guidelines, Eddie's like, fuck this kid.
1: (laughs) This is what I got (laughs) when I married
2: her. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to shut up and keep it moving. Yeah. Right.
1: I mean, and to be fair, Uh, I mean, Tamara ended up on watch what happens live right after this episode um or within days of this episode and um it had come out that ryan had essentially threatened um his ex-wife with a bullet right in in like some sort of message mm-hmm. post right where he was holding the bullet in his fingers and he's like this one's for you right and rather than tamra Tamara goes oh well you know his ex-wife um puts a lot of stuff up and then takes it down so i really have no idea right so in that way even like yeah. Tamara is still acting as a defense of ryan mm-hmm. right and so i feel like I, I do feel like this was about ways of okay spencer you're young and you're hard-working but like can you make it work right like I agree.
4: I feel like I watched that I watched that Watch What Happens live episode and not that I need Andy Cohen to be any sort of arbitrator of anything. But if these shows are going to show us scenes with Ryan and things that are very upsetting to many people and his actions that are troubling to a lot of people, if that's going to be shown on television, then that needs to be part of this dialogue. Andy needs to press Tamara on this and ask her questions and ask what she meant and ask why she thinks it's a good idea to film these kinds of conversations with her, both of her sons. And I
2: just wanted a little bit more pushback. If we're going to see it, then let us hear more about it. Well, if you push Tamara on this, then you have to push, in some ways, what is she has she is allowed as she was raising Ryan and then that is bad for Tamara, that also can be looked at as bad as for Bravo. So until we're ready to fire Tamara, what kind of pushback is, is Andy going to give? Like I mean, Andy makes it very clear when he's disgusted with people.
3: I don't know about that. I actually think, because the other night on Watch What Happens Live, Andy said that he wasn't going to talk about even the run-up to the election mm. until next July. So like Andy is going out of his way to actually like okay dismiss these sorts of conversations, which I agree. I think that that is highly problematic and should be at the very least, if not like overtly pushback, contextualized much more than contextualized. He does.
1: Well, and I feel like if right. they were gonna hold people accountable or or check in and press them in various ways on life choices in this way, then certainly by now we would have had some sort of discussion between Andy and Vicki about Steve Lodge. Oh, wow. And because, you know, <laughs> right. I, I don't know if you know um, Nicole, um, but Steve Lodge is a retired police officer here in Orange County, but he had um, multiple... Um,
3: Human rights abuse um, lawsuits against him while he was a police officer for, I believe it was Anaheim, the, Anaheim, Anaheim. Yeah, the Anaheim Police Department. And then he ran as a, uh, a failed campaign as a Republican politician in Anaheim as well.
1: And I think it was these You're human wrong. rights abuse uh, allegations that were tanking his run. You know, But I don't know if these things have necessarily all been finalized through their processes or not. But certainly, um, you know, there is this question mark above Steve Lodge. Yeah,
4: that's really interesting. And I obviously, I think that's horrible. But I think where I differ on wanting pushback from Andy is that we haven't, they haven't put that on our television. We haven't seen that as a storyline on OC. So that gives Andy the room to not have to press it. That's, but that's if they're going to put Ryan on our TV, then we need to talk about Ryan being on our TV. Yeah.
2: Right. I agree. Can we switch locales for a moment? Can we go to the south, to Atlanta specifically? Um the women of the Real Housewives of Atlanta um, were politically active on camera before 2016, but got less attention for their activism. In terms of political engagement, how was Phaedra's trip to the DNC and her work with Black Lives Matter, work in DC, how was that different, say, from Carol's election viewing party or even the trip that Carol and Dorinda made to the Women's March?
4: Or even. Well, I think it has to do. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 go, go, go. I think it has to do. <laughs> it has to do with race I think and while it might Bravo might be willing to put the women's march with not that it wasn't important and representative of all women but it was a lot of white women whereas with the Black Lives Matters work and the focus on that that still seems to be something that they're not ready to focus on that much so I thought it was really fascinating that Phaedra and Portia are going to the DNC and they're so excited about it and they're going to see Eric Holder speak and they're going to see all of these other really powerful people speak in the Black Caucus and we get approximately a three minute scene of this with just footage from Phaedra's cell phone. So Bravo doesn't even send a crew and I think that's really telling that Somehow that wasn't considered mainstream politics or significant enough, even though it's incredibly significant. And I think it should have been a really big part of the storyline.
1: And I wonder, certainly, to the extent Twitch Bravo was like, we're not going to send our cameras because maybe they felt like it would be them weighing in in the middle of like a Black Lives Matter and then that. Weighing was, into the middle of a national crisis. Weighing that. into a national crisis, you know, and they probably were like, oh, let's not, you know, from from my perspective, I would see that Bravo would think it be, would be more advantageous for them not to be seen as weighing in on something like a Blue Lives Matter versus a Black Lives Matter. Because remember, Erica's breakdown at dinner on vacation was all about Blue Lives Matter. And that got, oh, a, right. that got a lot of mm-hmm. screen time mm-hmm. comparatively. Not
3: considered to be politics, though. That's the difference because that was considered motherhood. Yeah.
2: Well, the funny thing right. about the women's march is we know that it was very divisive, very successful, but very divisive as well. I mean, not everyone came together and said "kumbaya." So it's just it's very interesting um, in terms of what is highlighted and what isn't. But I guess that's natural, the nature of reality TV. But um bum. Um,
4: I will say if I could just interject something about issues of race on these shows is Potomac has been allowed to handle that a little bit better than some of the other shows. And I'm thinking of this season when they went to the plantation and they really showed viewers some of these truths that we should all know, but people choose not to confront about slavery and the women got very emotional. That was really important. I thought that was an important moment. And I thought that the same gravitas could have been given to the Atlanta women when they are doing Black Lives Matter work and things like
1: that. So now we're going to segue into our Bravo breaking news. Okay. So um, I want us to talk about the Joe Judy deportation case. Um, So, Nicole, you can weigh in however you want. Like If you want to say things about the longer, um, you know, the case, the... You know, their their prison sentences, what's going on with the deportation, wh- wherever you want to go with this. But so currently Joe Judice has filed a motion to either um, be allowed to leave his detention center and stay at home until final decisions are issued. Or he says, just send me to Italy now because I don't want to stay in this detention center any longer. And he's already been there for many months. So that's what's current. I believe we're still waiting for the judge to issue their decision on whether or not they're going to let Joe Judice go home. Uh, to his house in New Jersey, or whether they will then just agree to instantly deport him. Uh,
4: for me, what the Joe Judice case highlights most is the hypocrisy that we have when talking about immigration and deportation. I think a lot of the same people that are calling for Joe Judice to be allowed to stay because of his family are the same people that have been fine, and if not fine, then silent about children being taken from their parents at our borders. And so this is just really this startling example of the blinders that people put on, or not blinders, I guess, but just overt racism in this case, that they're crying for Joe Giudice to be able to stay, while at the same time supporting an administration that is doing incredibly awful things
2: to immigrants that don't come from Europe and immigrants that don't necessarily have a criminal record I mean the man and his wife have served time ladies and gentlemen and I didn't and let me sidebar I didn't realize that there was actually an option to leave a detention center
1: I don't think there is I think he's saying like the detention center is so awful like let me stay at home Right. Or if not, just send me away. Because I've already been at this detention center for months. And I was like already in prison for years. Like the rest of years. the immigrants.
2: Like the rest of the people. The, yeah. the people, right? And I did quotations around the people who are in detention mm-hmm. centers. Ugh. Ugh. What do you say, Nicole, is an expert? Because all I have is, uh. Uh, I'm kind of a uh, also. Um, I find it also
4: troubling that Teresa is trying to use her celebrity to make things better. And to use her connections to the president to make this better, and that just again highlights this really troubling hypocrisy that's going on. And her children, or at least the oldest one, what is her name, Gia, um, making these impassioned pleas on Instagram about, you know, my dad needs to be here with his family, and it's just, it is, ugh, it's this person committed a major major crime this person was also here for so long and could have become a citizen and just chose not to and why i sure i understand that the kids want their dad to stay here but i feel like it's pressure coming from the family to make these pleas to people help us get attention help us have trump hear what we're saying and it's just very um really kind of highlights a lot of the disparities that are going on around these issues in our country.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's really disgusting to me that, um, because it is this idea of like, well, I'm going to get mine. It doesn't matter about anybody else's kids or anybody else's parents. I'm going to get mine. And that's all that matters.
2: Right. This could be a moment where these deport, these detention centers are so horrific It's not just about, I call him Juicy. It's not just about Juicy. It's about everyone in these centers. It's not just about him being able to go home. People should be allowed to go home or build a home in this country.
1: Well, and his center is much different from the centers on the border. Hello. The other thing that this case, and I mean, the longevity of this case brings up for me in a parallel is Thomas Ravenel on Southern Charm. Because, you know, Bravo said that they were going to stop filming with Thomas Ravenel um, because of his um, case that he was going through. But the case is finalized, and rather than having to serve any prison time um, for the things that he did, and he even confessed, yeah, I assaulted the nanny, yes, they have... Um, images of where her underwire actually broke and cut her skin. Like, Whoa. I mean, that's a Ugh. like you know that that takes it takes some effort to break an underwire that way. You know what I mean? And he's like, he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was like thrusting my stuff at her, right? Like, so he admitted all of this, and the judge was like, okay, you can give me a five hundred dollar fine. So he paid five hundred dollars. He gets no jail time, and so now I'm in this moment where I'm like, well, gosh, the says have always been Ranj, right? Like Range doesn't happen without the Judices. You know, it doesn't matter what they've gone through. Does this open the door for Bravo to bring someone like Thomas Ravenel back on the show because he settled his case? And so oh, and I so, really
2: hope not. I'm just, just i si- I'm just sipping my coffee in lieu of not having tea.
1: Yeah. So this is so this is the thing that nags me constantly at the back of my mind. Not only are the these all all of these issues around Joe Judice's case, right? But then, what kind of parallels can be drawn in terms of Bravo's relationship to Joe Judice and Teresa Judice, but also to someone like Thomas Ravenel? So, that's what I have on that.
4: Ooh, I hadn't even considered uh, Thomas coming back on the show. That's so horrifying. And I'm not going to rule it out because you make a good point that that could happen. And I think, again, not that Bravo has any responsibility to be our moral compass, but they do have a responsibility to not highlight these things and turn them into entertainment. Look, we have this kind of serial sexual assaulter, allegedly on the serial part, but we're going to now highlight him and use that for entertainment is just upsetting, and I think, I think this is another example of how our discussion of politics in the country has changed. Because now, I think, or at least I hope, that a lot of viewers would react with, okay, no, then we're done with Southern Charm. We're not watching this in a different way than people might have reacted 10 years ago. Um, for example, if you watch the early seasons of OC, there are a lot of really homophobic things being said and racial slurs being kind of casually thrown about in a way that we typically don't see in 2019. So I hope in 2019 we have reached a point where we can still enjoy our Bravo, but expect it to just be a little bit
3: better. That's all we can hope for. <laughs> That's
2: a great way to end. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Nicole. And before you go, can you tell people what's next for you? What are you working on and how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you what you work on?
4: What's next for me, I'm working on a book right now about the transition period between presidential administrations and how it impacts our foreign policy. And other than that, I'm also starting to Do more work on women in politics and do more work about the intersection between popular culture and politics. So I think there's a lot of fun things for me to explore. You know, I'm lucky to be a scholar and have the opportunity to see what I do as fun. And especially when it gives me a chance to watch Bravo and be able to call that work. So that's very exciting. And I am learning to be better at social media. So for right now, people can just contact me via email, which is my full name, Nicole Ansliver, all one word, at gmail.com. And
1: Wonderful. Nicole is, um, she's writing a chapter for us in the anthology. Oh, right. So you can find more of my thoughts there. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Historians on Housewives. As always, you can find us at historiansonhousewives.com, where you can propose your own episode topic, a journal article, ask us questions, send us feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Historians H. We live tweet Sunday through Thursday. And you can always give us a review of our podcast on Google Play, Spotify, or iTunes. Thank you, Dr. Nicole Ann Slover. This show is brought to you with the support by Barbara and Mark Spear, Saddleback Community College, Christina Hinkle, Christina Gamberpore, Jed Murlaski, Pete Murray, Cody Baker, Molly Callahan, Dr. Joaquin Galarza, Courtney Crow, Laura Loper, Kim Bettendorf, and Louis Osseo de Dios. And remember... Scholars do bravo, too.
2: So, can we talk in terms of political engagement? How was Phaedra's tip to the Democrat? La, 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 take two.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.
5: derm.com.